Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to The Great America Show. Thanks for being with us. The Marxist-run New York Times may be finally discovering at least a sense, a slight sense of right and wrong. The newspaper over the weekend finally acknowledged that two IRS whistleblowers who came forward against the Biden Department of Justice and David Weiss's five-year-long investigation of Hunter Biden are credible sources. How about that? The Times also acknowledged that the Department of Justice was fully ready to let Hunter Biden off the hook until Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler, both IRS agents, emerged to tell the truth. Despite their courageous testimony and their public statements exposing the DOJ, the Biden DOJ still tried to give Hunter Biden not only that sweetheart plea deal, but also absolute blanket immunity. Can you imagine... And then the corrupt Department of Justice outdid themselves, appointing the architect of that sweetheart deal none other than U.S. Attorney David Weiss as special counsel. But wait, there's more. According to today's Washington Post, Weiss has had close ties to the Biden family for more than 10 years. Weiss even worked closely with Hunter's deceased brother, Bo back when Bo was the Attorney General of the state of Delaware. Notice the Marxist national corporate media did not report that throughout the five-year-long investigation and plea negotiations. IRS criminal supervisory special agent and now IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley told CNN last week that special counsel David Weiss is not to be trusted. Shapley says Weiss is not independent, that he will give Hunter Biden preferential treatment once again. The reason why we came forward, uh, especially Ziegler and I, was because we saw things in this investigation that we had not seen in our in our history uh, with the IRS criminal investigation. And it just demanded that we come forward or we wouldn't be meeting our oath of office. So the announcement today, you know, really vindicated uh, Special Agent Ziegler and I um, coming forward and because and, some of these issues that that were uh, were basically admitted to today were the crux of why we came forward. So when, when Attorney General Garland comes today, uh, comes forward today and and he, what he did is he admitted that that the American people was were misled um, by what DOJ continually told them about this investigation and um, so, um, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. You know, you ask for a special counsel and you get it. But um, I don't, th- you know, the most important thing is that the, the American people have confidence in this investigation and, uh, and that uh, they, they know that each person is treated the same under the law. 
And I don't know how DOJ can conclude that uh, United States Attorney Weiss has that confidence in the American people and that this, uh, this special counsel appointment is really going to uh, resolve any issues. And while David Weiss has begun his job as special counsel, Hunter Biden's attorneys have taken their next steps to give Hunter Biden another sweetheart deal. The New York Times reporting that Hunter Biden's attorneys are pushing the Biden Department of Justice to prosecute those two IRS whistleblowers for sharing information with the U.S. Congress. Now, isn't that outrageous? This is outright intimidation of witnesses, it's retribution against those IRS whistleblowers, and corrupt collusion at the highest level of government, absolutely brazen criminality and abuse of power. This is only the latest effort by Biden's attorneys to shut down the investigation. New documents reveal that in an October 31st memo, Hunter attorney Chris Clark, in his efforts for a sweetheart plea deal, threatened David Weiss what would happen if a plea deal wasn't reached. Quote, President Biden now unquestionably would be a fact witness for the defense in any criminal trial. This, of all cases, justifies neither the spectacle of a sitting president testifying at a criminal trial, nor the potential for a resulting constitutional crisis. End quote. Does that sound like a threat? It's now clear at that point the fix was definitely in. Weiss and the DOJ would do all they could to protect Hunter Biden and his family of crooks. And it wasn't until Judge Mary Ellen Norieka intervened to shut down that sweetheart plea deal that it all unraveled. As I said earlier, the New York Times may be finally discovering, in ever so slight a margin, the difference between right and wrong. Even CNN is beginning to retreat from some of its Marxist-dim propaganda. CNN's Jake Tapper, after almost four years, finally admitted what he had to have known all along, that President Trump was right and that Joe Biden was a liar, acknowledging the facts that Hunter Biden made millions from foreign countries. Glenn Kessler from The Washington Post uh, had a fact check about Joe Biden uh, from earlier this month. Um, noting that Hunter Biden admitted in court in July that he was, in fact, paid substantial sums uh, from Chinese companies. Kessler wrote, Hunter Biden reported nearly $2.4 million in income in 2017 and $2.2 million in income in 2018, most of which came from Chinese or Ukrainian interests. But this, and this directly goes against what Joe Biden said in the debate in 2020 uh, with uh, Donald Trump. Take a listen. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. What you None of that is true. He made a fortune in Ukraine, in China, in Moscow, that is simply and various not other places. True. So it's from two different debates, but, I mean, Trump was right. I mean, he did make a fortune from China, and Joe Biden was wrong. That may just be a start for Jake Tapper, because he fails to admit what else President Trump was right about. He was right on Russia and Ukraine. He was right on Biden depleting our oil stocks and driving gasoline prices through the roof. He was right on Afghanistan. He was right on putting tariffs on China. He was right about the Biden family corruption and Joe Biden's compromised position. And the list goes on. And he was perhaps most importantly right that the Marxist stems and the deep state 
stole the 2020 election from him. Among all those things Trump got right was the hoax of global warming and not caving to the Marxist left's fear-mongering that the world is on fire. President Biden spent the weekend at billionaire businessman Tom Steyer's house in Lake Tahoe before departing yesterday to finally survey, after almost two weeks, the island of Maui, devastated by the wildfires. And it wasn't long before he was called upon by the far-left climate groups to declare a national climate emergency, a declaration that would give Biden broad powers, a dictatorship, if you will, dictatorship-like power certainly to come after anything he deems a threat to climate change. He could come after your car, your gas stove, your cows, you name it. And don't doubt these totalitarian Marxist dims are ginning up their climate change propaganda and it will be another trillion-dollar heist, at least, paid for by, of course, our tax dollars, the pseudoscience they manufacture for their propaganda. Well, it's priceless. I want to bring in our guest today. She's Dr. Judith Curry, esteemed Earth and atmospheric scientist and best-selling author. The title, Climate Uncertainty and Risk. Professor Judith Curry, great to have you with us here. I'm delighted to join you today. You've written over 180 scientific papers. Uh, you've written textbooks. Uh, it, you're, it's just extraordinary your background and your your views. Uh, and now you're in the you're in the the battle, uh, the, the battle over <laughs> climate change, global warming, uh, whatever you want to call it. And everyone seems to, uh, and many of them, no, no, most, nearly every one of them doesn't have your standing in terms of uh, of knowledge uh, or uh, experience with the issue. Give us your idea of why, first of all. There is this, what I think is an idiotic contest over uh, what is something called climate change and the policies that are, to me, absurdly uh, being followed without clear understanding of what the heck these politicians are talking about. Well, the political horse or the political cart has been way out in front of the scientific horse on this issue for many decades. It goes back to the 1980s when the UN Environmental Program um, was looking for an issue to advance its globalist kind of agenda. And they seized on global warming as the desired vehicle. This, back in 1992, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change had a treaty to that 196 countries signed on to, including the U.S., to avoid dangerous anthropogenic climate change. Okay, this was before there was any evidence of warming or that warming was <laughs> dangerous or that it could be avoided, but we had this international treaty. Okay, and then this then torqued all the science and everything towards finding evidence to support dangerous anthropogenic climate change. Nobody was paying attention to the benefits of warming. Nobody was looking at natural climate variability. And all of this then just mushroomed, you know, a bunch of political, economic um, motivations just got into a line and has brought us to this place where we think that we can prevent bad weather by getting rid of fossil fuels, which is a fairly ludicrous notion. 
And there is a commitment to it. And the, the Biden administration right now talking about they're going to have to use executive orders. They're going to have to rule by fiat so that we are being uh, climate responsibility as a nation, ignoring India, ignoring China uh, and most of the Western world, certainly uh, as they do so. There is a madness that has taken over the Marxist left in this country uh, and and frankly, around the, the world, obviously. But right now, this is a country really playing with the idea of self-destruction economically uh, and societally. But uh, because if we get rid of fossil fuels, we follow the schedule that these uh, uh, ideologues put us on. I don't see anything but economic disaster waiting for us. Do you? <laughs> no. no. Um, you know, if we were, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying to improve the, you know, our overall energy infrastructure to meet the challenges of the 21st century with research and development and to new technologies, things like that. But this mad rush to destroy our established energy infrastructure and replace it with wind and solar, which are a complete disaster for our power system is just a, a very huge mistake. Um, Joe Biden thinks that he can control the climate <laughs> by getting rid of CO2 emissions. I mean, and he can't, <laughs> I mean, nobody can. Um, he's just, that there's so much mischaracterization of what the actual risk is, you know, from warming. And it's certainly not extreme weather events. There's no evidence that those are worse. They were actually in the US, they were actually worse in the 1930s. Right. I mean, what we're getting from this slow creep of warming is a small amount of sea level rise and some melting of glaciers. I mean, these are very, you know, slow happening, kind of processes. But, you know, this hype of extreme weather events as being caused by burning of fossil fuels is just ludicrous. And even the UN scientific assessment reports on climate admit that there's no particular relationship between these extreme weather events and the fossil fueled warming. So it's just stupidity all around. Yes, stupidity all around. I, I I think that we should make that a motto right now for the United States government, uh, because we're looking at these 800 fires. Uh, here we are in mid-August, 800 fires in Canada that have brought unprecedented uh, disastrous air quality to the United States. Air quality seems to be a misnomer. It should be uh, awful air. Uh We've never we've never experienced this, to my knowledge, in our country's history. We have air that in many places and for many days this uh, over this summer, and it's likely to continue, we're told, people, it, the air was unbreathable. And we're supposed to be the country that created clean air and and uh, and clean and clean water. We have neither right now. <laughs> Not a good thing. I mean, you know, real pollution pollution of the air, water, and soils, that's something we should worry about. But this focus on climate change and CO2, which isn't particularly harmful, carbon dioxide, you know, you know is very misleading. I mean, the, the, the forests 
fires in Canada were, you know, a big anomaly. Um, bad forest management, they really don't have the same kind of capabilities for firefighting that we do in the U.S. Um, you know, there's a whole lot and some unfortunate weather patterns that just brought all that mucky smoke right. down to the U.S. Um, but if you look back into the early 20th century and the 19th century, the forest fires were horrendous. And if you were out west, that was just the dominant aspect of the climate, that there was smoke everywhere. Um, you know, it's just, you know, happens when you have forests that aren't managed. And they were far worse. We, we've made them less damaging, you know, in, in the 20th century by trying to control them. Now we realize that we've overdone it and that we have too much <laughs> wood and there's sort of a forest fire deficit and we need to figure out how to deal with it. But the, you know, they've always happened. They always will happen. We just need to figure out how to better predict them and manage them. Well, I, I grew up out west where forest fires were common. As a matter of fact, they were routine. Uh, and we had great young people or smoke jumpers and they're diving out of airplanes. Uh, and I envied them greatly. I wanted to do that. Uh, but I had a different job to do. I had to work on a farm and uh, make some money. Uh, they, but I admire those uh, smoke jumpers and We've got all sorts of folks still in this country who make living uh, a living working for the Forest Service, fighting fires and volunteers. This president didn't even mention the forest fires and maybe putting them out. Maybe we talk if you could ever get Justin Trudeau's attention long enough. We could have helped out. I think we sent something like 800 people up there. Uh, that's not much good. One person per fire to, to stop it. Uh, but no one wants to talk about air quality. They don't want to talk about what is happening in, in real time, which are carcinogens in our water. And it is a desperately serious health hazard right now that people will ultimately be uh, they will they will have illness and many of them will die. And we're not even talking about well water. We're not talking about public water systems. We're not talking about basic clean air and clean uh, clean water and as you say clean soil good lord knows who who knows what we've put into our soil uh with all of the pesticides and and, uh, and artificial uh, fertilizers uh your thoughts well you know we're able you know by blaming everything on fossil fueled global warming we avoid paying attention to the real cause of our problems. The fires in Hawaii, in on Maui, okay, that was a, a crazy tragedy, but it was predicted, you know, many days in advance saying, look, you're gonna have extreme winds and it's dry and it's hot. These are recipes for fire weather, you know, watch out. Um, they didn't really pay attention to those warnings. Their, their siren warning systems didn't work the electric utilities didn't shut down the power when the winds got high and you ended up with this complete catastrophe and so what does the governor of hawaii blame all that on well he blames it on fossil fueled warming <laughs> um, which, which basically had nothing to do with it so so it's a crutch that politicians use 
<laughs> to avoid having to confront their bad policy decisions and bad infrastructure decisions that have led to these problems. You know, our hearts go out to the to the people of Maui, uh, the state of Hawaii. Uh, it, it horrible tragedy and devastating. And like California, uh, a couple of years ago, the public utilities have a lot to answer for, because they understand that a lot of their power lines can can either start or help. Uh, uh, fires that are already uh, underway. And, and it looks like we've seen that happen again here. Uh, and blaming climate change, especially when you live on an island uh, in, a, in a state in which volcanoes are, in it seems, a state of constant eruption, uh, is sort of bizarre because nothing can keep up with the ash uh, and the gases that those volcanoes produce, uh, including fossil fuels as they make their way from island to island there in Hawaii. We are talking with Dr. Judith Curry. She is a brilliant uh, climate scientist. Uh, she is a PhD in atmospheric science uh, from the University of Chicago. She has a great new book out called Climate Uncertainty and Risk, Rethinking Our Response. We'll be back with Dr. Curry in just one moment. Please stay with us. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're back with Dr. Curry. Her book is Climate Uncertainty and Risk, Rethinking Our Response. Uh, Dr. Curry, uh, world leaders uh, have made a, a lot of statements about climate change. Uh, Joe Biden, for example, saying it's the greatest challenge uh, to mankind in the history of the world. Uh, and that's one of the things I really admire about our puppet president, his uh, sense of hyperbole. Uh, your thoughts about what we face uh, from climate change. Okay, well, the climate crisis isn't what it used to be only a few years ago. <laughs> um, even the UN has now recognized that those extreme emissions scenarios about how much we're going to um, produce in the future that could lead to eight, nine, 10 degrees Fahrenheit of warming by 2100. Well, those emission scenarios are now off the table and they're now talking about, you know, significantly less amount of warming and also the sensitivity of the climate to increasing CO2 
our estimates of that are becoming lower. So, so this little crisis is, is being, you know, diminished. And, you know, at this point, we've already warmed by 1.2 degrees centigrade. I hate to switch temperature units on you. Um, How much is that in Fahrenheit? You double it. Okay, so so let's say it's it's Three. two and a half degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll try to convert on the fly in my head. So we've I think, already. I think warm. for most of us laymen, two. You know, if we're close enough within a half degree, we'll be all right. Yeah, right. And and so they're talking about, you know, at most another two, maybe three degrees Fahrenheit warming by the end of the twenty first century. I mean, you would think that that would be great news, but no, we now have code red and global warming, global boiling. What they're doing is hyping up all these extreme weather events as evidence, you know, of this crisis and of this boiling when even the UN assessment reports acknowledge that there's little evidence and little confidence that these extreme weather events are caused by the fossil fuel warming. So it's just all very misleading trying to spur action for this particular policy solution of replacing fossil fuel power plants with wind and solar. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I, and when I look at these huge uh, mills, windmills uh, sitting out in the ocean, killing birds and, and whales and whatever, I, I, I'm absolutely, it's abhorrent. It's outrageous. As, and we're different. You know, American eagles, bald eagles being killed by the dozens by these, uh, these factories of windmills uh, in the West in particular. Uh, it, it is, I, I'm personally just not willing to give up to that kind of technology that destroys our wildlife. I'm just not. What about well, you? It's especially crazy because in the 1970s, which was the big growth period for the environmental advocacy groups, remember Save the Whales? I mean, that was I do. Their, big, their big mantra. And now you have all these whales washing up on the Atlantic coast that are dead. Yeah. Um, it's hard to believe that that doesn't have anything to do with all the construction activity offshore as they well, try to install well, these wind turbines. I mean, you've inspired me. We're going we're going to come up with a new mantra on this. We, we're going to give full credit to the to the Marxist left in this country whose new mantra is kill the whales, kill the birds, you know, kill America. I, I mean, that's what they're really trying to do. Uh, yeah. and it is so uh, kill science, uh, kill reason. But and exactly. I, I mean, the, the whole environmental agenda for protecting ecosystems and clean water and clean air has been usurped by the climate change CO2 agenda. And we're actually and the solutions, I mean, are damaging to the environment. They're damaging to the economy. I mean, they're damaging to our security. I mean, the good news is that as they try to add more and more wind and solar to the power grids, it's the, the idiocy of that solution is going to be coming more apparent. Um, South Australia is probably the furthest along in terms of trying to operate their entire um, electric power systems on wind, wind and solar. They don't even have much hydropower and they're running into all sorts of problems. And 
they're having to develop all these extremely expensive fixes to the system, you know, adding synchronous condensers and on and on it goes, and that they have some of the most expensive electricity in the world. So people who say that wind and solar is free, oh boy, the infrastructure surrounding all that to try to get usable wind and solar power is extremely expensive and not at this point, not technically very robust. You know, we're risking outages and unreliability. Who needs that? Well, you know, you you mentioned the 1992 treaty in the United Nations, uh, a problem about man-made uh, climate change before there was any science to even suggest it, let alone uh, establishment uh, establish it, uh, even questionably establish it. Uh, the left wants to replace trees, it seems, uh, with with solar panels. They want to put up windmills in, instead of uh, fossil fuel. Uh, why isn't anyone worrying about, for example, how we dispose of all of these batteries uh, that we are using up uh, for electric cars and other purposes? Uh, there is an ecological, to me, it seems, and a huge ecological break here uh, that is that's rising to the level of psychotic. Oh, yeah, there's a huge waste problem. There's a huge um, massive resource use to um, lots of mining that needs to be done for all these rare earth minerals that are mm -hmm. needed. And these are, um, and they really destroy the land. Um, we don't want to do that in the U.S. because it would mess up our land. Far better for poor countries in Africa to do it. Who cares about their land? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, exactly. And by the way, we just, you know, I think it was in Ohio or Michigan, where they just approved a Chinese battery plant for crying out loud uh, in this country. That's the level of psychotic break I'm talking about in the body politic in our society uh, and certainly on the far left that uh, seems to have no understanding of national security uh, advantages or strategic uh, opportunities uh, that should be American, not Chinese. But, but we're looking at another. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, well, if we're going to move away from fossil fuels, and, you know, when you think about the 22nd century, we're probably not going to be burning fossil fuels in the way that we are now. But, you know, the sensible answers are nuclear power and geothermal. And who's talking about them? Well, next to nobody. And in the U.S., I mean, other countries can build um, nuclear power plants on a time scale of years. But in the U.S., with all the regulatory constraints, it takes decades and billions of dollars to, right. to build a new nuclear power plant. We need to get over that. I mean, nuclear power is a really good power source. It's clean, it's reliable, has minimal environmental impact. And what do you do with the waste product? Oh, I, my God. There, there, there I, isn't... I'm, I'm, I, I have to say to you, I'm one of those people in my youth. I actually reported every day on things. And one of the things that I reported on, unfortunately, uh, was nuclear storage uh, areas like Hanford, Washington, for example, uh, where, I, I mean, we, there's every, every kind of isotope around uh, buried deep. And by the way, about 150 feet from the water table that leads into the Columbia River. Uh, 
And, and when people say that they, uh, and as you just did, that the idea is, by golly, let's go get some nuclear uh, power. I'll stick with fossil. Thank you very much, doctor, because I know what the challenge is there. Uh, well, the, we, the, look, look at Fukushima uh, uh, in, in, uh, in Japan. We are dumping millions, tens of millions of gallons of radioactive water into the Pacific there still a decade later. Well, there are much, much better ways to manage the waste from nuclear power plants. And a lot of the fuel can now be reused. You can actually reuse the fuel. There are better ways of bearing this in big casks, um, cement casks that are well underground away from whatever they might damage, including water tables. So there are ways of managing, you know, the, the things have changed a lot from the early decades when we didn't manage our nuclear waste so well. So this is something that can easily be managed. And there's new technologies right now. You know, the water cool technology means you have to put them on the coast. So you use the ocean water to for cooling and that makes them vulnerable to hurricanes and tsunamis and whatever. But now there are other ways of cooling the nuclear power plants that don't rely on water. So there are new technologies that make this so much safer and environmentally sound. So I think people need to take another look at nuclear. That's my well, opinion. People, if you mean by people, you mean me, doctor, I'll do just that. I'll well, take a look. You're not the only one. You're not the only one <laughs> that has that attitude. Okay. Well, it's it's more than an attitude. Mine is a science-based opinion, yeah. if you must. <laughs> but it, it's maybe not a it... for the latest technologies. That's, that's my point. <laughs> Well, I guarantee you, we'll be back to talk about this. I'd, I'd love the opportunity. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, take a quick break here. We're talking with Judith Curry. Dr. Curry is a hoot uh, to talk with. I'm really enjoying this conversation. And she is bringing, I hope, everyone right up to date on the, the madness, the idiocy of the far left in this country and their ideological uh, cult that is centered on climate change and global warming. We'll be right back with Dr. Curry. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back with Dr. Curry, and I, I just want to say, doctor, I uh, <laughs> to debate you on nuclear fuel uh, is something that we should talk about at, uh, you know, on a more extensive basis here. I hope you'll come back in the weeks or months uh, that 
you'll find some uh, opportunity to do that with us. Uh, the left, it seems pretty clear right now, uh, is has taken on climate change uh, as a sort of a build a cult around it. It's a religion. Uh, and, and by the way, the result, as you intimated, uh, has meant a huge windfall, a big financial economic windfall for China, which continues to just spew petrochemicals into the air uh, and every kind of carbon. Uh, and the and frankly, the idiot class in this country uh, continues to uh, insist that no matter the facts, the the consequences, we're going to go to green energy, whatever the hell that means. Your thoughts, doctor? Well, you know, we have to figure out. You know, once you do a complete in, in you know assessment of all the different types of sources of power and you know their land use their resource use their costs their reliability on and on it goes there's no simple obvious answers i mean geothermal i think is one that we need to pay more attention to and it seems like a particularly good source for the west but in the near term i mean natural gas and oil i mean are, are good solutions i mean coal is definitely dirtier and it's much harder on the environment to mine. But there are still some, you know, for smelting and iron ore and all that, coal is really the best solution right now. So we're, we're by no means ready to transition away from fossil fuels. Like I said before, if you look ahead to the 22nd century, I don't make, you know, hopefully we'll have better solutions, but we certainly don't right now at least that we can implement at scale and certainly not on a short time scale. So we just need to get over <laughs> this, this crazy urgent transition away from fossil fuels. It's going to be very damaging um, to the countries that go after this aggressively. We're already seeing this particularly in Europe. Um, you know, it's just not a good plan. Right. And, and as we look at what is happening uh, around the world, the United States is not the world's worst, uh, if you will, polluter in terms of greenhouse gases. Explain to us, because this is something that I'm fascinated with. Carbon dioxide, trees suck it up and spew out oxygen. That seems to me like a very good cycle uh, and uh, natural, if you will, uh, corrective mechanism for too much uh, <laughs> carbon dioxide. Maybe plant a few more trees and gin up a little more oxygen. Am I thinking of that too simplistically? I know I'm saying it too simplistically. Well, that, uh, that's certainly part of the equation. You, you've actually seen a greening of the planet <laughs> for the last several dec decades, as you can see this from satellite you know, the planet is greener. And this is generally regarded as a good thing. Okay. Yay, Yay. wait but, a minute, I want to celebrate here. Yay. Yeah, it's good, it's good. <laughs> um, you know, this is the weakest part of the whole argument that that warming is dangerous. Um, you know, they, they most of the so-called dangers are <laughs> thousands of local vulnerabilities that are revealed by extreme weather events. I mean, those are the dangers and it's not directly related to the warming. 
other than the slow creep of sea level rise, which in many places is slower than the actual sinking of the land due to geologic processes or groundwater withdrawals. So, you know, this whole issue as to whether it's dangerous, that's a whole, that's an issue of values about which science has little to say. And nobody's done a proper risk assessment of this whole thing, looking at both the um, advantages and disadvantages in different regions. I mean, Canada and Siberia and Northern China, I mean, they think with warming, they could become more productive agriculturally. Nobody talks about that. So this whole, nobody's done a proper risk assessment of this whole thing. And that's a major topic in my new book, Climate Uncertainty and Risk. Climate Uncertainty and Risk, Rethinking Our Response, uh, and Anthem Environment and Sustainability Initiative. It's in paperback. It's available for order, of course, on Amazon, and we encourage you to pick up a copy. Uh, we recommend Dr. Curry's book to you highly. The Cli Climate Uncertainty and Risk, the title, Rethinking Our Response. The left keeps stoking fear. Dr. Curry, as you know, especially in our children, and children now are filing lawsuits in Montana uh, against public policy uh, on climate change, for crying out loud. Now, you were going to be, I understand, a expert witness in that trial. Tell us what that's all about and how in the world children are winning lawsuits on climate change. <laughs> okay, well, let's September, I was brought into this case by the um, state of Montana's attorney office. They asked me to serve as an expert witness. They gave me a very quick deadline to write an expert report. And then I was deposed in um, December. Um, the case is about there's an organization called Our Children's Trust, which is suing governments. They almost 10 years ago now, they put a lawsuit, filed a lawsuit against the U.S. government. This was actually under the Obama administration, um, trying to get them to change policies because, you know, the children have a right to a stable climate and a secure future. And the children are under psychological stress, um, depression because of climate change. And we need to fix all that by stopping Wait a minute. Are these the same people who are urging gender uh, transformation uh, no. with our, our <laughs> no, no, minor children? Is no, it a no, different no, group no. or is it, oh, is it the same part of the ideological spectrum? Well, not necessarily. Um, the plaintiffs, they, they were in the Montana case. They were, I think, about maybe 15 um, children and young adults who are Native Americans. Um, who signed on to this lawsuit. Obviously, the children, you know, the younger ones, <laughs> you know, it was mostly their parents' involvement, but um, several of them were on the stand during the trial. They're admirable, articulate um, young people, but they, you know, they said, they were saying, oh, well, there was a big hailstorm that damaged our crops and there was a forest fire that came close to our property and burned down my neighbor's barn. 
and there was um, a heat wave and a drought that dried up the creek where we used to fish in. And, you know, these are, you know, the, the traumatic events <laughs> that these kids are facing. And the point that I made in my testimony was that the weather in Montana during the 1930s was way worse than anything that we've seen during the lifetime of these kids and that their great grandparents you know, suffered through all this bad weather without air conditioning, without, um, you know, good infrastructure and so on. And in some cases, not even with good electricity. So it's just fairly ludicrous for them to think that this harm, you know, these bad weather events are caused by fossil fuel emissions. And, and they're worried about their future. Some of them were, you know, we have no future. We're so depressed. You know, why should we even go to school if we have no future? So they're genuinely depressed. And, and I think it is real. I mean, it wasn't a game that they're playing. Uh, and so what we have here is pre-traumatic stress syndrome, <laughs> whereby these kids are extremely worried about the future climate to the point where all this includes psychological injuries, such as depression, you know, and even suicide in, in some young people. And this is coming from the apocalyptic messaging that's targeted at children and young adults. It's even worse than what we see as adults. I mean, this is in... Um, so, so you're saying, yeah. if I may interrupt, yeah, you're saying that the left-wing groups who have assembled these children to sue states and other organizations, I suppose, uh, uh, on the uh, claiming climate change is their fault and therefore they're entitled to some damages, uh, are, who are the same people who are running commercials talking about what awful people Americans are because we have caused climate change, because we have polluted with fossil fuels, which arguably is a contribution to the ecology because it is, after all, carbon-based. And, oh, yes, it does in time uh, allow us to, uh, through our trees and uh, our plant life, uh, create oxygen. I, I mean... In other words, why don't they sue the left-wing groups who are creating all of this nonsense and propaganda that is obviously browbeating them uh, to the point that they may have psychological problems? <laughs> well, you know, all of this is part of the same ideological issue. But but the goal of our children's trusts are not seeking damage, funding for damage. They're looking to influence state and federal policy Mm -hmm. related to fossil fuels. That's what their agenda is. And but you're absolutely right. If they were genuinely concerned about the psychological injuries to the young people, they would be going after extinction uh, rebellion and just stop oil and all these crazy groups yeah, who it, are it, scaring the bejesus out of these kids, including teachers unions in the United States who are yeah. indoctrinating them with all sorts of nonsense, including gender uh, identity and transformation, uh, sex education, uh, all sorts of left-wing nonsense that they blather in the classroom, including CRT, uh, telling children uh, of all races and ethnicities uh, that this, the United States is a racist, nasty place, despite the fact that you're sitting in a public school uh, classroom that's paid for by taxpayers, which has always been the great equalizer in our society. Thank you very much. These teachers are ignorant left-wing uh, 
drugs uh, as best I can see. Well, there's definitely problems in the schools, but but back to the messaging to that the kids are getting. So, you know, these activist communicators and educators are trying to spur action to eliminate fossil fuels and that they realize that the way to get to their parents is through the kids. That's pretty clever. However, there's growing alarm among these climate activist communicators that they've gone too far with the apocalyptic rhetoric which is leading to depression and leading us down a path of inaction. So I'm hoping that there's some rethinking. But well, it's just I, You know, I would too. And I think uh, one of the things I would say is that people who will use children in this way, so cynically, uh, it, they should go see a psychiatrist right now, uh, and they should really take a look at themselves in the mirror because I, that is absolutely awful. It is uh, what the left does best. They're exploitive, exploiting, in this case, again, children. Uh, and, you know, damn their hides. That's all I've got to say. Uh, that's ignorance at the highest level, and they can try. They can think what they will. It's America. They can say what they want. But this is truly truly awful on their part, and they should be ashamed. Dr. Curry, I just want to say it's been a great conversation. I hope you'll come back with this uh, and have some more fun. Uh, Dr. Curry, we always give our guests the last word. Your concluding thoughts. Well, this was um, a really interesting conversation. I mean, the bottom line is that we have badly mischaracterized the risk from climate change, and this is leading us down a path of urgently getting rid of fossil fuels, which is, you know, a, a cure that's way worse than the disease of climate change. And common sense has left the room. And we just need to rethink the whole thing. And this is what I've tried to do in my book, Climate Uncertainty and Risk. It provides an intellectual counterpoint, a well-argued one, in my opinion, to this whole crazy climate change alarmism that um, the Biden administration seems to be so enthralled with. Uh, and. And we have to give the Biden administration credit then in some cases, because I can't see that they're enthralled with very much of anything at all, uh, except their uh, mad, myopic uh, left wing uh, ideology. Dr. Curry, as you said, an interesting conversation. Thank you for making it so. And uh, a, a great uh, a great pleasure for me. I do sincerely hope you'll come back soon and uh, you can continue my education on climate change and the audience. Uh, I'm sure has enjoyed uh, your thoughts immensely. I know I have. Thanks for being with us and God bless. Thank you. Judith Curry, a great American. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Our guest here tomorrow will be Senator Rand Paul. Please join us. Follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs on Facebook and Instagram at Lou Dobbs Tonight. And be sure to check out LouDobbs.com. Please join us tomorrow and each and every weekday. Thank you, God bless you, and may God bless America.